Hi everyone, I'm Eamon Fennell. Welcome to another episode of The Hot Ball with AIG and Dublin GEA. On this episode, we're going to talk to Dublin coach and Dublin legend, Deck Darcy. Deck was obviously involved with Dublin for the last seven years and was involved with the under-21 team under Jim as well. And he was a big part of the five-in-a-row success. So hope you enjoyed. Any questions, just submit them through Dublin's uh, social media pages. Here we go. Well, Deck, welcome to the hot ball with AIG and Dublin GEA. It's great to see you in your little man cave of training there with the whiteboard. I see a spinning bike in the shadow there as well. So you have a great setup. You seem to be well well geared up for lockdown and COVID in your little man cave there, were you? Yeah, uh, listen, this, this, uh, I could actually rent this out, actually, because everybody's <laughs> just loving it. But uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of my little critiques. I can spend hours and hours down here and... Uh, I just love it, and it was perfect during the, the lockdown. It gave me lots of little me time and space for myself to chill out and uh, do things that I'd like to do without having the <laughs> distractions of kids and all the drama in the household. So, yeah, pretty cool to have it, all right? I spoke to Collie Moran and uh, Gogsy about this, and I think everyone during, like, during lockdown at the very start of it ended up just going through their attic doing huge clear outs and a few lads found old DVDs of games and stuck them on like did you do any of that did you have time to reflect on your time at Dublin and look back on different things and just say actually I'd love to watch that again and and see the learning hell hell absolutely no <laughs> uh, no no oh, no 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 maybe say oh the match the 2012 or 2013 matches on the telly no 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 don't want to see it no don't it doesn't do me any oh, no i'm not into that nostalgia i love looking forward and not looking back there's good moments in it all right yeah but i might catch a little bit if it was on i look but i wouldn't have no i wouldn't be interested in sitting down with a bag of crisps or something <laughs> and start looking at a, a past game i was never into nostalgia like that like no and i can see some of the stuff there was some really good stuff and um, funny stuff and interesting stuff but i like a little bit of that bit of crack about it but i listened to stories that happened in groups that had gone past but um no i thought it was very funny that uh the Kerry, they kept showing the awfully uh, video yeah, over yeah. Kerry. <laughs> the, Kerry <laughs> the funny thing is, Kerry were going for five rounds. They never showed any of the, the four, the four, four out Ireland's the one before. They only showed yeah, the yeah. one that they lost. So it was kind of, <laughs> yeah, it was kind of, that was kind of nice. The funny, funny enough to see. But other than that, no, no. Being <laughs> break deck, just when you step away, you stepped away. That's, that's pretty much that's it. That's it. That's it. Yeah. But look, I, I do want to actually step back with you and reminisce a bit about just getting involved with the the setup with the 21s because you know you, you've been with Dublin and you've been with some of these players for 10 years which is a long stint to like a, a decade coaching the, like a, the likes of Johnny Cooper, Paddy Andrews, Rory, I'm sure there's a few other lads that kind of come through. You must have seen some serious changes from when you started with the 21s to when you finished up over that time span. I think, uh, apart from the the coaching end of the football end of it, I've kind of seen guys, uh, Johnny Cooper, Rory, uh, Paddy Andrews, all these guys, 15, 16 years of age, um, evolve from being potential players for Dublin to actually fulfilling their dreams. um, And then to see them evolve as actually human beings as well, you know, going through that college piece, then out into the big world of work, 
and the challenges of life itself. So it's been a brilliant journey for me to just see that evolution of a person and also obviously as a player particularly as well, but the person as well and how they've developed and evolved in that environment was just, and then to see them fulfill what was known at an underage, what they wanted to really do and achieve as a player, but then to probably smash it a little bit. So it was special as well, like, you know, but it's been a, yeah, some wonderful journeys and some wonderful memories for me uh, because, and I think it was really important for me as well, that knowledge of the player and knowing them inside out from an early age, their traits, what they hate, what they don't like, what they do like, and having that in-depth knowledge of a player is critical to being able to, I've often said with coaching, if you don't know the player, you can't coach the player. But I think, personally speaking, and I know Jim as well, to a lesser degree maybe, but I had that knowledge you know, early on, and it gave me a great basis to work off to coach players and get them better. And, and did you kind of see your role as obviously a big part of it was getting the players ready for our on the pitch? But like even when I look back on my time with Dublin 21s, there was a lot of people doing a lot of work for me and helping me out personally off the pitch as well. Was that a big part of your role as a 21s coach? Like you're, you're obviously trying to get players ready for game day, but you're kind of in a way, getting players ready for stepping away from college and into the real world as well. I think, uh, I think it's probably be much better now at that piece of looking after players outside of football. But we were—I was transitioning from a period of time when I played football where there was none of that really. You know, there was a type of care, but it wasn't really identified in any way. Yeah. Uh, players might, or managers, you know, might, you know, be looking after you in certain ways, but it was never really identified in any kind of shape or form. Under 21s is difficult because you had challenges. Most of our biggest challenge was if there was a strong club like yourselves, Vincent's, or Chemical Croaks playing, you know, in the getting to the latter stages of um, club titles, they would challenge us as a group because be a couple of players not available to the 21s. And we might not, we were beaten by Mead one year. So in the first round, uh, and Croaks are playing in our Ireland semi-finals. We're missing the Croaks. If you don't get momentum at under 21, if you don't get to spend time with them, you don't get a chance to coach them. And that's the different disadvantage yeah. with under 21s. It can be a very short season, but then it can, if you go, if you get to the final, it can be a brilliant journey, especially for young guys, because all of a sudden the world opens up for them. They begin to start to believe, to get their confidence in themselves. And then all of a sudden, like under 21s wasn't a, a big thing in Dublin, but it has become very important now. And it's, you can see why when Dublin paid attention to it, the difference is made to players and how they've evolved and to become really good senior players. Uh, absolutely. And especially when you kind of have that success within the team as well, like, you know, winning in All-Ireland and a lot of them lads coming through, then it makes it e an easier progression in once you've been successful uh, under 21 into the to come into the senior team, knowing that you kind of have the skill set there and you have the confidence to come in. But from your point of view, when you then come into the, to the senior setup, what did you do differently to kind of upskill? Did you start, okay, right now I'm going to be managing a whole different criteria of players with different needs, different strengths. Probably, you know, some lads have been around for a long time on the road. How did you coach them versus the young lads that you brought through? Was there anything that you did prior to actually stepping into the setup to go, right, I need to upscale in a certain area. I'm going to read a book or I'm going to reach out to to someone within the, the trade? I think... Um 
Yeah, yeah, it was a huge sponge. Uh, like I, I love learning, and I kind of, I gather information and relevant information. I'm pretty good at kind of dissecting kind of information that would make logical sense to me and make a difference to the players. I was pretty clear in what I thought would work for the lads. Um, I had a very clear role in my role, which was very important. Um, I'm, my connection with Jim is massive than that. Um, and he allowed that to, to function really well. But I was fairly clear. I knew what I was what I was there for and what I needed to do. And I did it really well. And I, it was and that clarity was important. Um, so for me, it was all about the players. It was not about me. I had my time uh, playing. Uh, some up, <laughs> not so good, but some good as well. But I had a brilliant journey in that 40. And actually, my journey in football, playing for Leitrim and club football and playing with a small little club in Leitrim with 250 people, gave me a great respect. You know, they say when you travel as a young guy, you come back to Ireland and you have a, you have a better knowledge base, you have a different perspective on life. But my football journey gave me an awful lot of insights to different cultures, different ideas and different ways of operating. And that, that I gathered a lot of information from past coaches that I worked with or coached me and I had great coaches, you know, really that had a big influence on me. John O'Mahony. I was about to say John O'Mahony, yeah. Yeah, and, and Jerry McEntee as well. Like a, a great individuals that were, Kevin Kimmer, a great people that were kind of giving me stuff that I didn't realize that I would gather, but I was banking it. And I was able to dis- decipher what was important and what was good. And then try and, and introduce to the current group and say, well, okay, this is what, can I use that? past experiences, learning more as I go, and then trying to pass on that knowledge to the players. And just being, I kind of, I, the coach is not the word I kind of sit pretty with me. I kind of more facilitator. I kind of am keen to listen to players. I've had only enough people kind of perceive me to be this kind of a defensive <laughs> coach. And I am a bit of grunt. <laughs> I can do that. But I listen very carefully to players and I do get to know them and I do get to understand what their needs are. And then I, my big thing in my head is just to, just try to make them uh, as best they can through their eyes, not my eyes. I see other coaches and they kind of force things on players and force them to do And I don't totally disagree with that. I think you need to facilitate the player. You need to let him evolve himself because it becomes far more powerful when he does it as opposed to being forced to do it and actually enjoying what he does and seeing why he's doing it. And I think that's the piece that gets me. And I love that. And that's what craze me. I, always constantly looking at other sports other drills I'd be a devil for going looking at drills and other sports it's mad how you pick up stuff from completely different sports but yet you can bring it back to the guys and see and introduce it to the guys and see can it make a difference to them and to make them better but I love that and I love the engagement with the player and the challenge of them and just facilitate and being honest about with them as well I love that raw kind of you know it's not you know, it's not kind of teacher-pupil, but it's just that honesty of engagement with players. And I love that bit. It's just being straight to the point, telling them what they needed to know up front. And I think players, you know yourself, when you're yeah. listening for feedback, you, you don't want this verbal waffle. You just want it straight to the point. What do I need to do? And how do I need to do it? Well, I think that's a crucial component because... Like I was very lucky to be coached by Ski Wade, who I who I hold in a really high regard in, in terms of a coach. And talking about giving it to you a tick, like, you know, he gave it to you, like, you know, and, and obviously Mickey was cut from the same cloth. Like, you know, sometimes you needed to, you, you probably got 
you've probably got stuff said to you that you didn't really expect to hear, but you needed to hear it, you know, that kind of way. But I think when you when you really look at communication and you talked about there the waffle of it and you just like to have the clear direction, make sure that the players know what their role is and they understand it. How crucial was that for like in a game scenario where the guys were going through, you know, you're coming up against a blanket defence and then the attacking waves that you could just say to them, like, had you got a call or a buzzword to say, right, the blanket defence, that now we have a setup differently, do we go zonal? Was there anything like that that you ever thought or was it just pretty much the players would make that call themselves based on the scenario that was in front of them? I think uh, crucial for it's crucial in that regard would be preparation. And I would be massive in preparation. I would know my opposition inside out. And I'd do the hard yards. Be under no illusions, uh, hard work is at the top of the pile for anybody that's gone after trying to be, you know, to achieve at the elite level. And I would set a serious bar at that level of preparation and knowing my um, opponent. And it's a kind of respect. And we set this thing as well. Every time we played, we played with the same level of attention to the opposition and giving them the respect. So if we're playing Carlo, the first round of the Lancet Championship, or we're playing Kerry, we would plan the exact same way and respect the group that we're like, and sending on that. And that piece from the coaches gave it to the players. They respected every opposition they played. And by doing that, they created a certain level of standard of application. And that standard of application gave layers and layers of knowledge and learning. And then the players evolved really, really well in that environment. And they actually kind of began, they kind of like, it was fun. You'd often hear about coaches going to, um, I think the current house is Outschmitz, is it? When Joe <laughs> Schmidt used to kill them on a Monday or something. But our meetings and reviews wouldn't be like that at all. It would be the absolute opposite. Is huge opportunity to learn, have open discussions, not about um, nailing players and saying you made a mistake. It's about reviewing what happened and understanding what happened. And if we were presented with that again, how would we perform better as an individual, but also as a group? And by having them conversations, you get to know players and what they're thinking in them scenarios. So when they face these scenarios, then they know what to do and how their own players, don't forget, you're talking about opposition players but you've got to know your own teammates to how to function and if you get to know each other really well and then you can function much better because you trust and that trust piece is huge and when we're having these conversations with the lads uh, it's that trust piece so when we go to war and we're in Crow Park and then pinch moments when you're having a conversation with a player he trusts you because he knows you've done the work you've done the preparation you know what you're doing and the information you're given is going to make a difference to him and that's when that piece becomes really powerful within the coaching group and the players. There's a huge trust between player to coach and coach to player. And we're lucky enough to, to have most of it right. <laughs> we're not going to say we got everything right. But there was that environment within our group. Um, but that, for me, predominantly came down with doing the hard yards coming up to games, um, preparing, setting the agenda, uh, preparation was key. And then giving ownership to the players to to take ownership of that because it's them that's going to make the decision. You rightly said, it's them that's going to ultimately make a decision at the pinch points of the game. And they need to have the confidence in themselves as an individual, but also as a group to take that responsibility. Yeah, and, and I got that impression from talking to lads. that like Even some of the forwards, like Dermo, Berno, Allen, 
when I spoke to them about you and your role, like they all spoke very highly of you. And I think it was because of the level of detail you got down to and how much you made the defenders push the forwards as well. So like they all became better players because the defenders were pushing them more and more in training. It's just the, what the feedback that I got from them. But when you're looking at your, your squad and Paul McGinley spoke about this in the Ryder Cup, it's horses for courses, you know, know the opposition, you go into a lot of detail about fully understanding them, but you also really know your player strengths. Did you always look at your team and say, okay, I need to make a few positional changes here and bring players in to combat their strengths, but also to really go after their weaknesses as well? Was that just a real critical part of your planning for the opposition, the horses for courses kind of approach? Um, I probably wouldn't go... um, I suppose the horses courses, yes, probably, but what we would do is prepare for the opposition, understand them clearly, and then um, acknowledging our own strengths um, and how we could apply that to the opposition and what way would that look like when presented. And we tease it out in a lot of scenarios and then kind of go, and then it might just go and say, yeah, that I think that's the one to go with. That's the one that's going to work. Now, don't forget, we had a huge amount of talent at our disposal. But again, I think as well, we the players understood the selection process or at times maybe they weren't a little bit <laughs> happy with it but I think in general they understood our thought process that some fellas might have not got game time that probably should have got game time or started in the game but because of the opposition we're playing we decided that it would be better to start this player or maybe have another player coming on with 20 minutes to go because the opposition might be flagging there was a lot of different scenarios that we, we, we thought about it deeply and I don't think players did sometimes they still had this thing about starting and they didn't acknowledge that the last 20 minutes could be a key point to come into a game and making a big, big impact. So there was lots of different uh, scenarios, but we had the talent to apply that. And there was challenges with it because you're obviously certain players would feel, and probably rightly so, theoretically could have been starting games. But because the opposition were playing, we might not start them or hold them for the last 20 minutes when we'd see a better opportunity for them to, um, to execute. But it all came down... The language which really helped a lot was that it was all about the team. So players accepted that. It was wonderful to see. And I think Bernard Brogan particularly in his, you know, he's just, I cannot speak enough highly about Bernard. I'd seen him do things magic. Like our A and B games were obviously, as everybody knows, probably quite high intensity and brilliant games. But we were, I was lucky enough to see some of them. Bernard used to, just a magician. Like his brain, his way of thinking was phenomenal. But him to do what he did in the last year, you know, to ultimately sacrifice his own personal needs for the team and to take it the way he did was just like I think he got more respect in the last year than maybe all of his football just within the group. And that was brilliant to see. And I think that was the environment within like at the end of the day, we were trying to make decisions what was best for the team, not about individuals or or satisfying individual need. It was all about the team. And I think the players themselves began to see that was ultimately what it was all about. And there was days, there's some days, and there was tough calls for certain players. Yeah, there really was. Because like, as you, as you spoke about, you have a, a depth of talent that I, I call a spade a spade here. Like, you know, a lot of managers would dream to have. 
but then you also have that challenge of okay now you have to keep people engaged when they're not involved and make sure when they're sitting on the bench that there is still a role with them it might be five minutes it might be 20 minutes it might be just to keep the energy up in the dressing room before before the game like you know was that was that really tough to manage and how did you do that because when I look at the backroom team every year when I see the team photo like there's more people on the backroom team than there is in the team like you know was was there like the likes of Bernard Dunn was that his role just to kind of keep the lads you know in good shape mentally for what their role was coming off the bench or was that just down to the environment that she's created uh, everybody was fueling the environment uh, but I think I just think it was more to do with the environment and credit to the players I think their language among themselves and the respect acknowledgement of when a player did something for the team was acknowledged by the other players and I think that was crucial and there was a value to it so no one didn't um, within the group at any stage what I'd like to think anyway didn't uh, feel that they weren't adding value and we would always you know take the time if we could to talk to all the players and again it's that honest conversation um, you know there is hard conversations but they're not easy conversations to have with players sometimes but you know I always found that it was honest and straight to the point and fair I always found that the player acknowledged that and took it back really well and what our language back to him was, we feel this is the best decision for the team. You might not be happy with it, but ultimately it's the team is number one here in this group. And I think continually, when you're trying to be consistent in that regard, players begin to, to see that and acknowledge that. And, you know, especially key players like Bernard taking that on and that ownership on. And we've had other players in previous seasons do that as well. And it's been fantastic. Dennis Bastic, like, I mean, we all... You know, if we ever went to war, we'd all know who was on <laughs> at our right hand shoulder. Anyway, you'd but, have to strap them up for us, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you'd still do it. <laughs> yeah, you weren't able to do a backflip or get Crow Park, but uh, you know, they're the type of characters that you know, and like another player for me, my I just love Darren Daly, like he's you know, he's had such a um, an impact for us in two or three All-Ireland finals and then pinch moments, last minutes again, he blocked down Tom Parsons. He won a kick out from Stephen and he won a breaking ball in the very clinch pieces of tight games. And what a difference, you know. And there's a player that, you know, champions his role. The players have great respect for him. You know, he's not the Kieran Kilkenny's or the Ryan Fenton's, but still, we would value him as much as the other guys. And they would as well. They acknowledge that his impact could be the difference of winning an Ireland or not and it was at the time so it's great to see that and I think as a coach I think there's a huge value to that to show that consistency within the group if you can you're not going to keep everybody happy but it did kind of keep everybody motivated to not have the strop to kind of get themselves back into the bubble and kind of give something back into the group what can you add to the group that's going to make a difference like, and that was ultimately really important for us I did as a player, I think that's the that's the place you want to be in, where you have that respect for everyone in the team. You know players' roles. You know management are doing it for the right reasons, although at times you may not agree with it. But to get into that zone and to have that environment, there's very few teams that do it, and it's the successful teams that do it really well and sustain that. Like you know, any everyone can kind of have a core group of players that they bring along that are bought in. Uh, but then the core crew 
become the main players and everyone on the outside starts to kind of their enthusiasm and energy starts to waver off but it never seemed to happen but deck i could honestly talk about all these amazing moments but one of the things i do want to learn more about was 2014 because it, it, from your point of view looking back as i said everything that you've done, the players you've brought through, the success that you've had. And I know you look forward and you, you look at all the positives and you look at all them moments that like what you spoke about Darren Daly, like getting that block on Tom Parsons. Like there are really small wins in, in, and huge achievements in everything you've done. But that big moment in 2014 against Donegal, what effect did that have on you and what effect did it have on the team? Um, it had a massive effect on me personally, and particularly myself and Jim. Um, it hit us, it hit me very hard. Um, and I suppose it was, I suppose there were lots of learnings in defeat. Um, and straight away we could go back to how we started off in Carton House. Uh, Keno Sullivan got what we probably perceived to be now as a concussion, and thought that it was okay, maybe, and then really probably he wasn't 100% going into the game. There was lots of learnings for us and how the game evolves. Um, our half-forward line, the selection of the team, was it was all kind of front-loaded players that wanted to score. Did we get the balance right in the selections? There was lots of... We were very hard on ourselves. Um, I know that. Like, it wasn't anything to do. We'd no blame on the players whatsoever. You know, it was all about straight away you know, you'd often hear look in the mirror first before you start giving out about others. And straight away for us, we put a very hard line on ourselves on what happened and why did it happen and what could we do to get it right if we got it again. So it was a big challenge, absolutely. Um, but it was hugely motivational as well. So especially with the team we were playing and the manager involved. So, you know, it gave me huge energy for the following season to put it right if we got the opportunity. But it was all about trying to dissect the emotionals out of it and then trying to go after the logical thinking, which was, okay, how do we need to get this better? What if that presented again to us? Because that at stage was the height of the blanket defence coming now yeah, yeah. to stall teams like ourselves that were playing 15 on 15 and wanted to play 15 on 15. And this was an opposition that were had really good footballers in their group. In fairness to Donegal, they had top, top players um, that sometimes is over, just never really acknowledged. Um, and how could we not, it wasn't actually a technical ability, but it was kind of, your, since you were a kid, you were taught to play football 15 on 15. And all of a sudden now, this system is put in front of you, that's alien to you, and now you have to begin to think, and now you have to begin to understand you have to begin to understand why they're doing it and then trying to dissect and start picking holes in it. And the one thing that I would have to say, it's one kind of thing that I love and Jason Sherlock has a huge part to say and that's how we were able to manage them teams. It was quite easy to play against that system at the end. It was a bit of a challenge in the beginning. You guys had it as well. Um, but it became easy at the end. Like if team set up that way we were very happy with it like we knew exactly what we needed to do and how to play and um, so it didn't challenge us really at the end you know so that was nice to see that curve but I did have um, 
I'm a different, I might talk fluffy sometimes, but um, there's a bit of killer in me. So 3-14 um, was the score we conceded that day. And I put 3-14 on the inside of my locker, 3-14 on my laptop, 3-14 on my uh, printer. And uh, every day I woke up, it was on my locker and it grounded me. Um, so wow. I knew when I, I knew when I had to go to work, um, I knew it was a stake. And it definitely gave me huge motivation. And I remember I was, we were, you know, we were MacBooks, so, you know, we'd be showing players clips and stuff. And I had it actually on my laptop, 314, because everything I was doing, this is the reason why we don't want to go back. I was defensive coach, so probably to concede 314 hurt me a bit harder yeah, than yeah. most. Um, and Paul Prince said, what's the point? You had 314 written on your computer deck. <laughs> and I said, that's the fucking score. Don't you go, I got against us. So that's what motivates me. I hope it motivates you. So it was, you know, that was kind of uh, the bit that learned us. And I think it grounded the group. Um, and I firmly believe that we don't, we wouldn't have been as successful as we were because it gave us that edge of thought and deep down thought that, you know, at any given day, this can be taken away from you. And it was taken away from us that day. And, you know, that was hard to take, but it gave us a good grounding. Yeah, absolutely. No, it, it, well, it sounds like it when you, when you go through everything you said there, like, uh, I don't know if you've ever had them as your lot of numbers. They might be your lucky numbers now because you've got so much success <laughs> off the back of it. But I spoke to Coach Kavanagh and he's a big believer in you have to suffer in loss to appreciate the wins and it sounds like you went through that like you you took it on the chin you took the learnings you you made the changes and you use it as the motivation and the energy going forward and like going into 2015 then it just looked like there was this whole new focus and i don't want to say uh massive change because it didn't seem like there was massive change but it just like seemed to be this more disciplined approach in, in everything in, in regards interviews that the players were doing that the meshes that were going out the setup the approach everything just seemed to be a bit more structured and then you had this wonderful year in 2015 you win in all ireland and a real dublin legend and a, and a hero of mine david hickey calls that this team is going to go on and do five in a row from going to 2014 to winning in 2015, for a man to make that comment, is that something that you ever envisioned uh, happening? You know, like I know David is just different gravy altogether, but is that something that you ever thought could happen? No, it was never, it was never, you, 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 Coach Kavanagh, like an obviously brilliant coach he is, but like I've had a lot of hurt, like it's not, it's been well documented, the coaching group didn't have the glory days that we would have liked. We had peaks over the general career. We were we suffered more than we actually were successful. And I think that gave us that earthy edge to what we were doing. Um, there's As no in denying your playing career. Yeah. yeah. So you know we all we we understood the pitfalls for Dublin players, and that's why probably we paid more attention to the media and the stuff that you would see. Um, for us protecting the players from the media and not protecting them or sheltering them from the media but just keeping them away from potential pitfalls that might present and you never know it could be a simple comment remember Joe Canning made some comments before they played Kilkenny in an All-Ireland final and it was taken out of complete context he didn't mean to say what he said but let's it fueled Kilkenny 
you know, by just a comment. And it's just, you know, just never know. You're just protecting players. Um, but I think more for me is what I, what I enjoys me was the players. It wasn't actually the hurt. It was the players and seeing them in action and respecting them and seeing how they got on with each other and trying to continue to make them connections and trying to get them to learn better and better and more logically. There's a lot of stuff that's thrown at players, you know, in, but you need to try to get them to make really good decisions. You need to get them to prepare really, really smartly. You could spend six hours looking at an opposition, but you could spend an hour and a half really, really, really going for what you need to be looking at and not wasting your time. And that's what energized me. Um, so you go to training, you know yourself, Stephen would be out there two hours before the thing, Johnny Cooper would be bouncing off the roof. You know, you'd have all these dermot would be kicking 45s with both left feet, left, right feet, <laughs> you know, and giving a stick to Stephen that he can only do it one foot. So there was a lot of, you know, talent. And then the younger players coming into the group, like, you know, we had Jack, Paul, Kieran Kenny, John Small. And then we had another wave, March, Owen Marchin, uh, Brian Howard. Like there was, you know, Niall Scully. There was a lot of, Kind of, I, I, I got great energy from that. I got energy from the players and um, how they were acting and how they were respecting the position they were in. That's what gave me energy and actually wasn't the hurt at all. It was actually the players themselves yeah. and how they actually got on with each other. Like it was phenomenal. I know you've, you, you know, you know them well, but you'd see them out, you know, and you'd see them. I know people kind of say, oh, they're out and have the crack, but you could see the, how well connected they were as a group. You know, and they were that's what energized me, and I loved it. Um, and that made a, me did they, the extra ten percent. But that's a huge part because, like, the culture that was created around the camp, like that's been well documented about the respect that the players had for one another, but also the opposition as well, and for. You know, like even being around Parnell Park, talking to the lads in the cafeteria, like you know. I think there's a big piece of what this Dublin team did outside of football as well. Like when I look what Philly's doing, what Kev Mack's doing, you know, what Dean's doing, like there's, a, there's amazing people within that group that are going to leave a legacy outside of football as well. And I think that's a crucial part of creating that culture about, you know, it's not just what happens in the team. That's the special moments. That's the moments for you to enjoy and, and you savor within that bubble. But actually doing stuff outside of the camp is what I have a lot of respect for these lads. Like that's for me, that's a huge part of it. But I think that word respect, you know, people say um, respect is like, oh, talk nice to the referee and, you know, acknowledge, you know, there's a lot of that. And it, it is important, but respect is a lot deeper than that as far as I'm concerned. You know, you have to have respect for the jersey, the responsibility you have. Um, who you're representing and don't forget when players are lucky enough um, we've always said this because you play with the Dublin senior football team you're lucky that's it you walk out the door you play in Crow Park 82,000 people when you walk out that door you're the same as everybody else that's it and that's the way it is you're the same when you meet supporters out there you're the exact same as them you're just lucky today that you had the honour of wearing a blue jersey in Crow Park and that's it so everything kind of was really important in that context. So when they were in environments or they were in, we were in a hotel or something, you know, they'd all pick up their plates, they'd bring them back up to the lady and they'd say thank you. 
as we we're going out the door, leaving the hotel, we'd say thank you. Just simple things, but respecting who we were and who we were representing. And that got very deep into respect for each other. Again, respecting oppositions, which sometimes is completely, you know, underestimated, but we had a consistent thought process to each opposition and each opportunity that they had to play. So there's an opportunity to play and we respected every opportunity that that Dublin jersey was handed out. And we gave it our very best on each day that we played. And it was kind of fantastic to see that, you know what I mean? And then you, you'd meet the guys out and they're kind of like, it's just uh, like, I couldn't, I couldn't uh, say enough things about that. But if that's, that's something that I read in it. Like it, there's a great book called Legacy about the All Blacks and about leaving the jersey in a better place. Was that, was like creating that culture of, you know, people having a lot of respect for one another. Was that something that you spoke about as a management team or did that just come to life based on the disciplines that you put in place in terms of your preparation for training and understanding what it took to be successful? I, I, well, I, I, I like the thought process of leaving the jersey in a better place, but I, I'd also like the thought process of leaving the player in a better place. Oh, I love that. Love you know that. what I mean? Because yeah. you talk about the jersey, but someone has actually worn that jersey. So that that's a person. That's a human being. And I like to think that anybody that's been in that environment will be a better person for that. Not, and just because you're successful, you know, sometimes people say because you won an All-Ireland, it entitles you to be this, that, and the other. But I think it's a lot deeper than that. I think you'd like to think that the guys that have come through this group would be better people for that experience. Yes, as I keep coming back saying, they're lucky to have an All-Ireland medal, but that's all it is. But they're better because of the experience and the environment they created. Uh, and I think that's that's for me is really really important. And again, that respect bit is just the respect and when they look around, the respect and their fellow players. Like when you go into that room and you sit in that restaurant and you have a look around, and if you're not energized by what you're seeing in the room, and you can't get energized by it. I don't know what you can do. And that's respect for your own teammates. Now you know your opposition, but your own players that you're playing with. Will there ever be a group of players put together again like this again? I don't know. I don't honestly know. Maybe, maybe not. And they're still there. But my God, like, you know, you, you know, you, you see them, like, you go, you're in that room and you're going, man, oh man, if you do not respect this, then make sure that you make the very best of this opportunity because this is a once in a lifetime opportunity and try and squeeze as much as you can out of this and make it as good as you can make it. You know? But like, I think you've did you've done that. Like players have done that, you've done it, management have done it. You know, you've you've got the best out of the situation, and it probably is this once in a lifetime team that like hopefully it comes around again. But like it has been really special to to watch this evolve. How difficult then is it to step away from that? Um, I I would have thought. Personally speaking, I underestimated the personal connection. Um, that was the one bit that kind of caught me. Yeah, because you really um, you speak with passion about the players. Like you really you got to know the players on, on a really deep level by what you're saying to me, which is took like seven years with with a team and learning all about players, and even ten years with some players. That's tough to walk away from. Ah, listen, I, I, I struggled. I don't deny it. It kind of caught me a little bit. Um, I kind of, in my head, it was a long journey. We were there in 2003, like myself. And, like, it was a long, it was a long stint. Um, and it was a long journey. 
but the connection with the players is the bit that kind of caught me and that that journey that you've talked about um and there's lots of stories that i can't tell you here <laughs> <laughs> as you will know yeah. but i had great moments with the players off the pitch um, and a lot of care um, and they know the players know themselves well i like to think they know that like they know that well they'll always tell you when they see my number coming up on their phone they kind of go oh shit what's he really to go but they know at the end of the day that if there's ever anything that they want they just pick the phone up to me and i'll be there for them and that was i think that without saying it they knew that was the case um and it was just hard when it stopped and the realization that it stopped um and not being part of that journey as you said you know Paddy Andrews might not like to tell you this, but he did work for uh, me for a while um, um, on the building trade, trying to get himself up the ladder. But just it was more a care piece for him to kind of give him a bit of help or steer. And lots of things like that has happened uh, within the group. And no Pat has been very good at that as well. So, and that's important. You know what I mean? You've got to be able to look after each other. Um, and I think. Players, I think, well, I'd like to think the players would know that from me, that no matter what happens, I'll be there for them. Um, but when that stops and the realisation that you're not going to be part of that journey anymore, was, it was very, very hard for me to take now. Because, you know, when you guys won was the year that my sister passed away. Um, I was fortunate enough to go to the match um, with her, uh, with Sinead's son. And I had one of the best days of my life. It was just one of those special days that anybody I was in Crow Park and like the the emotion that day was I never experienced anything. And then that includes the journey I had with the lads as well. It was just a phenomenal day. And then we came back to the hotel in the Burlington and um, obviously I knew Barry and a couple of other guys and they brought me in and you kinda of looked after me that night and I ended up in the nightclub that downstairs and they're like, What's he doing here? I definitely can't tell them stories, eh? <laughs> no. <laughs> but uh, Again, it was, I felt like it was a care, it was a connection. I was kind of, you know, it was difficult. But then the GA, and they're brilliant at this. It's not just Dublin, yeah. but right around the country. And it's been proven in the COVID how that network of care and looking after each other and uh, reaching out for people. And when they're in, when they're needs most, the GA people always come up trumps, particularly. But for me, it was the Dublin ones that came up trumps for me. And that created a bit of a bond. Um, and that has never left me. And I like to think that that care was shown to me that night from you guys. I will always try and give that back to other people and try and give it back to the players. And, and hopefully they'll try and spread that legacy wherever they go in their football careers and potentially in their coaching careers, that they'll continue with that legacy. And I think that's really important. The care for me is right up there. I know hard work, I said at the beginning, is up there, but care is the, it's right there. You've got softer as you've gone on in the in your career <laughs> with Dublin, but I think like that, that anyone that's gone through the GAA career at some point has had to reach out for help in, in, in some shape or form, be it Paddy Andrews looking for work or even just advice from a career move from college. And I've been very fortunate and having someone like Paul Flynn involved in the GPA, I think is is massive for players as well for, you know, kind of trying to involve as a person and you spoke about it so much in, in this interview about you know the role of the person it's not the jersey that's what I've taken a note there I really like that I think that's something that I won't get tattooed because I don't have a tattoo on my body but it's something that I will use in a quote going forward uh, <laughs> but I, when, you, when you step away and you, you, you kind of have that nod of respect 
for players. Like, you know, you've 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 earned so much respect from everyone, not only within the camp but outside the camp. And you've also learned so much as well. So like you've you've gone on this amazing journey with Jim and the lads and the team uh over a long time span in, in GAA terms, like you know, and actually in management terms in general, like you know, going by soccer or rugby, whatever it is. Is this something that you want to involve again? And I'm not saying like get involved with Dublin GEA, but about using these learnings that you've taken and, and bring them to a bigger level. Um, no, well, I, I, you know, again, I'm probably lucky to be in the position that I was in and to get on that journey. Great people. And don't forget the players, you know, you're talking about teams of players, but teams of coaches, you know, we've had great coaches, um, great people involved in our coaching group. Um, Shane O'Hanlon, Paul Clark, Mick Teague. You have a lot of people that have come in, you know, and kind of added value to the group. You know, Fergus Connolly, Gary Keegan, Bernard Duff. Like, you could go on, people adding value to the group. And, again, I'm a sponge. I'm learning consistently all the time. And I want to evolve. I don't, to respect that journey, I want to add more to it. Now, I haven't any, I didn't go into the journey to, uh, to be about me. I, I was there, clearly I knew what the role was. I was to facilitate players to make them better. It wasn't about me. But I have an awful knowledge from that journey. And um I suppose for me I'd like to document it to a degree to kind of to grab it a little bit. Um because there was a lot of there was a lot of influences to that. Not just us as a coaching group, as I said, there was teachers, schools, commander bone school, the clubs uh, the underage structures like Desi and the you know he's manager now and he how the influence he had and all the other underage coaches that had impact the group then Pat you know you had you know an awful lot of people adding value to that to that group and we were just lucky to be at the top of the pile to 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 grab what we could out of it um, but it was never kind of for me it was never about me going to be you know. Uh, to be Declan Darcy culture it was never about that um, and I suppose now the question I suppose I would consider but I am learning I'm reaching out to other coaches and uh, I love the learning bit we've got really good at it but I got good at it personally myself so I'm reaching out to coaches in other sports um, and trying to evolve on what they do and what they do and uh, professional sports intrigues me because they seem to be uh, really good and have time to to set things in play that are a little bit different to amateur sports and there's lots of learnings now, you, you can't obviously bring back that to amateur sports because at the end of the day they're professional we're amateurs but there's huge learnings and it's particularly cross codes of sports um, and particularly good coaches and at the end of the day it doesn't matter whether you're a coach of a Gaelic football team or an NFL team in America that communication piece and how you're acting and performing and how you're connecting with players is the gift um, and not to be underestimated. That that's a gift, um, and any coach that has that gift or pays attention to it and acknowledges to be able to communicate with his players and to be able to facilitate their needs, not his needs. I think there's a lot of coaches for me fall into that trap of facilitating their needs or their values and their things. But as opposed to me, it is all about the players, and that's big learning for me. But it, it is so. This is what I wanted to get into. Is that like your number one thing? Because I know you're working with a lot of coaches at very top level. You're part of a group of uh, like coaches all over the world who are sharing experiences, and you're, you're still on that 
learning journey and, and learning a lot more from various different sports and, and the meetings you're attending and the people you're speaking to. But is that the one trait that you see from all these successful teams is that it's players first, get the players' needs right and engage with the players and have them bought in and then everything else just kind of comes secondary to that? Um, I suppose... I'm on. I'm lucky enough. Bernard Jackman allowed me into his uh, his his coaching group, which is right around the world from New Zealand to South Africa to to Wales to they're everywhere, um, and they're but they're professionals, and they're they're it's their job. Like sport for us is theoretically pastime, yeah, yeah. but for these guys, it's it's a livelihood. So it's a different context to the conversation to a degree, but. Uh, particularly in New Zealand and Australia, it's that that warmth of the environment to excel, to get better. The connection between each other is massive. Um, I think that we, we had it. But it was great to see it in other groups, particularly professional groups, and champion it to kind of reaffirm that what we were doing was, was good. And I like that, and I like to hear what their, what their views are on it and how they're thinking about it. And how to, now, I still think there's a lot of mistakes for how the coaches are thinking. Don't get me wrong, I could be critical. But that's the beauty of it. But rugby is a far more engaging group. They have no problem sharing what they're doing with their group with another group. Now, New Zealanders would always say that no matter what they give to the Northern Hemisphere, they'll be a year behind their top process because they're <laughs> gone to the States. So they're a little bit cuter. But and they don't mind sharing their information. But still, there's a there's a bigger environment for coaches. And I, I couldn't believe how, you know, you have that teamwork of players. But it re-emphasised to me um, how isolated coaches can be. Uh, and you know, you I mean if you're in a good environment and things are going really well, um, it's brilliant. But what about the poor coach that's not doing well and is under massive pressure, and like the psychological trauma he could be going through and like I was, there's a leash guy, Alan Kingsley. He's the kicking coach, the Dragons, and um, he said, "This is my job, Dick. You know, it's nice for you to talk about the nice stuff and having conversation. I don't have time. They won't allow me the time. Like, and I said, "We make time. <laughs> you know what I mean? What are I having? But said, listen, make time. Um, but he said, "This is my job. But like, I mean, if, I, if they don't win, I know. And it's, like, it's amazing to see that coaching piece, and then the isolation of the coach, but the warmth of him being able to connect with another coach." and have empathy towards each other helps him and his journey. And I think that's the piece that I, you know, from out from finishing is to understand and how isolate. And if you go down to a club coach and you, you know, if you go down to, let's say the under 12s, I'm, I'm, I have, I mean, I'm involved with under 13 boys in Clannagale, under 16 girls and minor girls in Clannagale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm dealing with all this kind of <laughs> wide spectrum of emotions, baby. But you know yourself, you have that poor devil of a coach that goes down with the bag of no other coach turns up, he's late, he has to get the bag, balls out, the cones out, the lads are messing, he can't get control of them. And the poor devil, he's isolated as well. And all that coach needs is someone to come and give him a hand and all of a sudden everyone's okay. But it's, that's the one thing I've learned is how isolated coaches can actually be um, and what that can look like for someone. And then to be able to share and connect with another coach whether it's outside the club or a different sport, but then within clubs, I think there's not enough of connection as well. I've observed in GA, a big thing for me is the coaches don't, you know, in a club, I'm sure it's the same with Vince, maybe the under 12 manager doesn't know the under 14 manager, but they should know each other. Like there should be better connection, better way of working and operating, and helping each other out to be, 
you know, to enjoy that journey because coaching is difficult enough, you know, and if you're left isolated, that journey, if it's not successful, um, can be tough, you know. So it's a, I, I, I like that piece of trying to get coaches. And Bernard and Fairness, and he's a, a connector. He, he's really good at that. So he loves that kind of stuff, you know. Yeah, it's, it's probably something that I haven't paid so much attention to because I'm not in that role yet. But, yeah, like... Yeah. I will get in. I have a young daughter, so hopefully I will get into to GA Camogie or ladies football, whatever she wants to get into. I'll happily get involved behind the scenes. Uh, but you're right. I think like some some managers and some managers to an extent can isolate themselves because they want to distance themselves from the players. They can't. Uh, I think it's just a respect thing to say, like you know, like players at your time away you go but from a coach point of view you know you can be a bit more friendly with the players because the manager at the end of the day is the one that has to make them stern decisions and the book stops with him but from a coach point of view did you find that as a real challenge to you know separate your personal self from the from the player uh, at certain times like you know you, you kind of spoke about there just about isolating uh, and the coach can be a bit distant. Did you did you find that a bit of a challenge in your own way when you were involved in the team, or was it only when you took the step away to when you stepped away from the double setup that that really hit home with you? Not really. Uh, from a from a coach player, I yeah. always knew where the line was, and they always knew where the line was. You know, you'd have to crack, but they clearly <laughs> knew where the line of <laughs> engagement was, and I made that perfectly clear to them. But it was in a good way, not in a kind of a draconian way, but there was a line and there were certain things that I wouldn't do in competition with the players. and They knew that. Um, I'm not there to be their friend. I was very clear in my role. I'm here to make you better. That's what I'm here for. So if I'm starting to have the crack and it's affecting me doing that job, well, I shouldn't be here because I'm not respecting the situation. But I respected it and I clearly knew what I had to do and to make them better. That's my job. And I won't have any bones. If you don't like it the way I'm operating, that's fine. But that, that was my, I was very clear in that role. And I think the players knew that as well. And they always respected that piece. So it's important, that piece for me. But then the coaches among themselves and how they operate is really important because it can be kind of, you just never know what's going on. Um, and I've learned about not labeling as is probably true, the webinar, not to label anybody. So your presumption of, a coach said to me the other day, he said, four or five really, he was talking about his team and he's under 14 boys or something. He said, I have four or five really confident players in my group. And I says, well, how do you know they're confident? And he said, well, they play really well every game. And I says, well, you know, we have lads at the elite sport that are not full of confidence behind. Like you can only get to know them and find out, is that real confidence or is it, you know, just get to know them and find out. Like maybe they're not as confident as you think, and then you label someone that's not a good player, and maybe he's, you know, it's wrong. That thing needs to stop. Um, and when you look at a coach, you know, I was there when Mickey Whelan was manager in Dublin, um, in Parnell Park when we lost to Offaly, and coming off the pitch was not like you know Mickey really well. He was in DIT with me. Hard. Sometimes he's a tough man, but uh, he didn't like no man. Mickey Whelan certainly didn't deserve what happened that day. Um, and I learned that you know 
we're still all human beings. We're all GA people at the end of the day, and we need to look out for each other. And I think that coaches interacting and communicating better with each other to make that journey a little bit more energizing for themselves is really important. Um, and not to perceive when you see someone and how they're acting on the pitch that that is actually what they are. It could be furthest from the truth. Because you know, you say you play against players and you say, geez, that lad is hitting the back of the head, but you meet him out for a point and he's yeah, yeah, nice yeah. ever met. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not that. That I thought he was. It's yeah. the same with coach. Like it's a bizarre kind of yeah. And I just think that for me is big learning for me. And I just you know when you look in at a manager, you think that he's nearly bulletproof. Like Jesus, he is. He's, everything's boxed off. But it might not be the case. Like you know. So it's just kind of they're human beings as well. And I, you know, I, I have huge respect, huge huge respect for any coach that steps up to the plate and puts in the hours. And it's easy for, to a degree, maybe for me, um, because I people will say that to me. He says, well, you, why wouldn't you say what you're saying? You had a brilliant, and I did. There's no denying it. But I equally have the same respect for the coach that is involved with Loud, Leitrim, you know, any of the teams, you know, that just are lucky not to get success. But they're adding value to the people they're involved with. Like, I think there's bigger wins making better people than there is winning medals. And... I think that's what coaches should be chasing. And there's too much emphasis in the GA about the, the team that gets the cup. But you know what? There's been massive wins. And you've seen it yourself. Remember Kildare beat Mayo and Newbridge. You know, the yeah, defining yeah. days. That don't, there was no cup handed out. But my God, there was just a euphoria and a joy. And a, you know, there's magic days that people can get. And they're the days to be champion and making people understanding them moments and making them better. Guys out of that and girls playing their sport. I, I, I think that's a huge part that needs to be championed more by the GA, not you know the team that gets up and gets the cup at the end of the day. You know, because there's an awful lot of other teams and players have added value to that championship. Yeah, like well, firstly, Dick, we're after going way over time, but I think that's that's my fault because I've been so engrossed in what you've been saying, uh, and like I've taken a lot of notes here around like clarity and communication about like players understanding where the line of engagement is. Like to be a successful coach, you need to be constantly learning, constantly evolving. You need to understand your players. You need to be honest with them. You need to be direct with them. You know, they, they want to hear that. They don't want to hear the waffle. I think a beautiful thing that you mentioned was, you know, it's a bigger win to develop people rather than winning medals. Like, you know, I think that's just a, a credit to you, the person you were and what you were trying to achieve as well. But I think everything you said gets underpinned with respect, respect for people, respect for the opposition, respect for one another, respect for just the process in general and, and respect for the jersey. And like that's been highlighted throughout the 58 minutes that we've been talking is that that's what the goal was. And like just to kind of wrap this up, I think that respect for for everyone in terms of how you prepare your team how you engage with people is a big factor of why this Dublin team was a success as I said on the pitch but also off it as well and I think that's that's the beautiful thing that I've taken from the lads is like they're always willing to give a hand and do more for people outside of just GAA um, and as a as a as a fan of what's gone on over the last few years, like I'm in awe of you and I'm in awe of the lads and slightly jealous as well. But like it's just been so good for Dublin GEA and to hear people like yourself, David Hickey, talk about 
the legacy and, and what's being created, you know, it, it's just it's a special time to be a Dublin fan. It's a special time to see uh, a team like this come together and like you've obviously been a huge part of that. So thank you for sharing all them wonderful gems and nuggets of information that I'll definitely use. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening to this and watching this will get a lot from it as well. So Deck, stay safe. Best of luck with Clonagale. You seem to have your hands full there. <laughs> I've no doubt you'll make it a success as well. Yeah. Thanks, Simon. Thank you.